One of the most mysterious things that we see in Scripture is the story that the Bible tells us. And it says that Jesus, Jesus wrote something down, but it doesn't tell us what he wrote. I don't know if you know the story. It comes from John chapter 8. What happened was there was this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She was literally caught with a man being intimate with a man who was not her husband. And so they bring her, they drag her out, and they bring her before Jesus. See, Jesus is out and about doing his Jesus thing of preaching the gospel and loving on people, and they bring, it, bring her to him, and they say that they do this to try to, like, trap him. They're trying to, they're trying to back him into a corner. And they bring this woman, and they say to Jesus, they say, the law says that a woman who's caught in this sort of sexual sin she is to be stoned to death. That's the law, Jesus. But what do you say? See, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to trap Jesus. In our day and age, what they were, if you wanted to like translate it into our day and age, they were trying to figure out, is Jesus a conservative or a progressive? Is he going to be a conservative who stands on the law and upholds justice? Or is he going to be someone who sanctions what we say is sexual sin? And Jesus, I tell you now, this is why I follow this guy. He will not be backed into a corner. So what he does is he, he gets up, right? I can just imagine everyone's hushing, waiting to hear what Jesus is going to say. Do they stone her to death or are they going to let her go? And it says that he bends down. And the Bible says he takes his finger and he writes something in the sand. And then he stands up and he says to the crowds, let you, if anyone here is without sin, you can be the first one to cast a stone. And then it says he got back down and continued to write. Doesn't tell us what he wrote. But then the people standing there, probably with the rocks in their hand, ready to bludgeon this woman, they drop the rocks and they all one by one begin to walk away. And after they all leave, Jesus stands up and he says to this woman, he says, where are they? Where's everyone who's condemned you? And she says, there's no one left. They've, they're all gone. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now, scholars and people who are really invested in the Bible, they really try to figure it out, try to figure out what did he actually write. You know, they try to look at some Old Testament traditions and stuff like that. And, but the truth is, the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. We don't know what he wrote. Maybe when we get to heaven one day, we can ask him. But part of me, part of me thinks, did Jesus write something that has to do with the very passage that we're looking at today? See, we are, we are in week three of a sermon series called A Jealous God, and we've been walking through the Old Testament book of Hosea. You can go ahead and start turning to Hosea chapter three. That's where we're going to find ourselves today if you, in your Bible. Maybe you brought one. And just for, by way of context, here's what's going on. The, the book of Hosea is about this prophet, and, and God calls this prophet to marry a prostitute. You guys remember her name? What's, what was her name? Gomer. So God calls the prophet Hosea to marry the prostitute Gomer. Why? Because this was to be a real life, vivid image 
of what was happening between God and his people. That even though that we have, we've cheated on God and engaged in spiritual prostitution, even though we've given our hearts and bodies and sin to idolatry, given our hearts and our bodies to sin and to idolatry, that even in the midst of that, God still loves us. And so in week three here, we're going to see that, that Gomer has indeed, she's actually left her family. She's left Hosea, left her kids. If you remember from week one, Hosea marries her. They start a family together. Last week, chapter two, Hosea tries to pursue her heart just as God tries to pursue his people. But here we see in week three, Hosea has actually, or Gomer has actually left her family and she's gone back to the streets. She's gone back to her life of prostitution. And God calls Hosea to go and save her just as God comes to save and redeem us. So would you hear the word of the Lord? Hosea chapter 3. Let's read. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man as, and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. When God says the children of Israel, he, he sees us as his children. He's speaking of the entire nation here. Even as the Lord loves the children, the nation of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. Now don't worry, we'll explain cakes of raisins and letheks and all that in just a few moments. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without an ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We'll get to it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> Father in heaven, oh, how you love us. You love us so that even though we give our time, talents, and hearts to other things, when they should go to you, you love us. That when our choices leave us trapped in sin, you save us. And when we have sold ourselves to the world, Lord, you buy us back. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus' name and for the power of the Spirit in which we get to walk out our faith. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen and amen. So if I could uh, give you one main point for Hosea chapter 3. And I, let me just say, Hosea chapter 3 is... For me, one of my most favorite chapters in all the Bible, for it is so unbelievably profound. For just five verses, this chapter paints an unbelievably beautiful picture. But if I could give you just one point to take home today, it would be this. God loves us and redeems us even when we don't deserve it. Or actually, as maybe I should say, 
God loves us and redeems us, and we don't deserve it. But God loves us, and he, he redeems us even when we don't deserve it. Okay, let's take a few moments. Let's go verse by verse and see what God is saying here. Chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. First thing you need to see here is that our God is greater. I want you to imagine what's going on here for a moment. So just let's just engage our, our imagination. Try to think about this. Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel at this time. Remember, at this point in history, God's people are divided between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom right now. There, the kingdom of Israel, as it's called, they have assimilated to the world and to the culture around them. They have lost their identity as God's people, and they have begun just to blend in. They're looking like, acting like, sounding like everybody else. So God raises up a prophet to declare his message and to demonstrate what is actually going on so the people can see what they're doing. And God calls the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute, and they start a life together. And this is to show God's people that even though they have prostituted themselves to the world, that God still loves them, and he's going to call them back to himself. And so Hosea goes, and he loves this woman, Gomer. He marries her, and they start a family together, and they have children and he seeks to protect her, and he, he wants to pursue her heart. But here we see in chapter 3 that she has left him. She's left her family, and she's gone back to her former ways. She's gone back to prostitution. She's gone back to the streets. And before you are so quick to judge her, let me ask you here, especially you Christians, how easy is it for you to slide back into your former ways? How easy is it for you to give to yourself to those old temptations that are just crouching at your door? When we do this, when we give ourselves to our former ways, when we slide back into old temptations, we are becoming just like Gomer, prostitutes who are giving ourselves away and giving our hearts away. And Hosea, he would have been totally justified in divorcing her. He had a legal out. He could have just said, this, that's the life you choose? You want to choose that over me? You want to choose the streets over our family? Have at it. He would have been totally justified in letting her have the fruit of her choices. But God calls him to go and love her again. God says, go again. Go again. My friends, if you look at your life and you are far from God, he will go again and pull you back. Even while we are literally in bed with our sins, engaging in our sins, when we love popularity more than holiness, God will go again. He calls Hosea to go again, to show the people that he loves them. God calls Hosea to go and save his wife who is cheating on him. Let me just stop here for a second. I want to speak to just the men in the room. The men in the room and the men in the chapel and the men online. Let me just speak to you guys for a moment right now because I found myself doing something when I'm reading this passage that I think you might be doing right now. I think 
for guys, when we read this passage, we automatically put ourselves in the place of Hosea. Would I go back and love this woman? Would I be faithful to God and do what he's called me to do? Would I, would I do that? Let me just tell this to you right now, fellas. You don't have to worry about what Hosea, if you do what Hosea is doing. You're not Hosea in this story, brothers. You're Gomer. We all are Gomer in this story. God is playing the Hosea part here. It doesn't matter, like, would you be man enough to go, and do you have a big enough heart to go love a woman like that? You need to be concerned if God's going to love you in the midst of your enormous sins. And guys, I'm here to tell you he is. God will go again to show the people that he loves them. God calls Hosea to go and save his wife while she's cheating on him. Just like Jesus saves us while we are sinning against him. God loves the people, even at, uh, God, Hosea loves Gomer, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. It's like God is saying, you people don't even have the decency to eat chocolate chip cookies. You have to choose oatmeal raisin. <laughs> Disgusting. I bet you even put walnuts in them, don't you? Just gross. However silly cakes of raisins sound to us, that's how silly the sins that we choose, that future generations will look back and think that what we engage in is just as silly. They, they did that? That's what they gave themselves to? That's what they fought over? Like, for however silly you think cakes of raisins sound to you, that's how silly your sins will sound to future generations. That's how silly our sins that we give ourselves to, that's how silly it will sound. So, what, so what's going on here with cakes of raisins? Okay, so contextually speaking, in, in, in the ancient world, pagan cultures would, would bake these, these sweet cakes of raisins in offerings to pagan gods. And then as an act of worship, they would, they would eat these cakes of raisins. Now, these were sweet, dessert-type treat things. These were major delicacies. Right? This, was, this was high society. This was a sweet delicacy for people, okay? This wasn't fancy like Applebee's on a date night <laughs> with that Bourbon Street steak and the... Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> to eat these cakes... This was like dining in high society. You were part of progressive society. You were at the forefront of culture, partaking in what was celebrated. And it was utterly demonic. And they relished in it, giving themselves to it. You know, and I think, you know, we, we always find a way to sanctify our sins, don't we? We always find a way to justify our sins, like, I just imagine, like, if we just went back in time, it's like, what were you people thinking? Like, they, they might say something like, well, you, we were breaking down walls with the culture around us. We were just fellowshipping and loving our neighbor. It's like, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. You were assimilating. You weren't breaking down walls. You were becoming just like them. 
You were assimilating and becoming them, and thus you were worshiping demons. All the while, God is trying to love you and pull you back to him. But they gave themselves over, and they celebrated their apostasy by eating cake. I wonder if we had visitors from a thousand years come back and question us on all the ridiculous things that we do, what would we say? Well, it's what we do as a progressive aware society. Like, no, you're just becoming like the world and you're losing your identity and you're diminishing your light. What sins that we celebrate will future generations look back and laugh at? But I'm here to tell you, sin is no laughing matter. Sin is no laughing matter. Our sin is costly. Hosea goes to save Gomer from her own choices. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and for a homer and a lethek of barley. Our sin is costly. Our sin costs something. It's a debt that needs to be paid. It's a crime that needs to be punished. So he bought her for 15 shekels of silver. In the ancient world, that was the base price for a slave. In a homer and a lethek, a barley, basically that was just basically saying a bushel and a half. For a bushel and a half of barley. Forever, however much that translates into American dollars, it doesn't matter. Here's what you need to know. This was not a great price. This was not a high price. But it cost Hosea so much more than just coins and grain. See, in his society, Hosea just kind of gave up everything. He gave up his reputation. He was now to be associated with an outcast. He was now known as the guy who loved someone who didn't love him back. I just imagine Hosea and Gomer walking around town and then there's people on the street corner. I say, oh, look who it is. Look, who, look who's coming now, Hosea and Gomer. Let me tell you about Gomer. She'd been with that guy. She'd been with that guy. She'd been with him. She'd been with this guy. And the guy she's with now, she don't even love him. What a fool. So why? Why did he go after her? Because he was jealous for her. Because he loved her more than he loved his own reputation. Because he was going to be faithful to God and stand on the promises that he's made to Hosea. See, the people of that time, the, the men, they paid for Gomer to use her body. But Hosea paid to win her heart. He was willing to pay not just the price, he was willing to lay down his reputation to redeem her. That's how much he loved her. He wanted her more than anything. And my friends, that's God's great love for us. And he buys her back for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. But he gave up everything to do so. But then he says to her, follow this, and then I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. So let's walk this through for a moment because I think we're, we're already starting to miss some things. Hosea buys her back and then he says that she must live with him for, quote, many days. Now, 
to our Western romanticized ears, I know that doesn't sound very romantic, but you have to understand what's happening here. Like for us, we, do th- we, say, we say things like, I will love you forever and I will give my life for you. Like we use this very grandiose language that's not reality and we call it romance. Hosea is saying to her, you are to be mine for many days. This was an indefinite amount of time. It's like Hosea is saying to her, we're going to be together until I don't know when. But you are to be mine and to give yourself again to no other. But we have to see here that in this promise, in this beautiful promise, there's also a reality of punishment. Because remember, Hosea's marriage to Gomer is a living picture of, of God's love, his marriage, his covenant with us. Here's the hard truth that's being played out. Because of Israel's, the kingdom of Israel, because of their unrepentant sin, because of the fact that they keep assimilating to the world around them, they keep worshiping pagan gods, they keep celebrating their sin with something as fickle as cakes of raisins, because of their unrepentant sin, God is going to allow the world superpower of Assyria to invade and decimate their kingdom, to utterly wipe out and destroy their culture and to bring their people into exile. And history shows us in 722 BC, that's exactly what happened. You're not to belong to another man. So I will be to you. See, we have to understand here We already talked about how our sin is costly and the punishment is severe. The punishment for this is severe. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. Let's talk about that for a second. He goes on to say first, For the children of Israel, for the nation of Israel, shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Again, this is a picture Homer, or, uh, Gomer and Hosea, and Israel and God. Here's the prophetic parallel that's happening here. Hosea redeems Gomer, and she's to live in his house, but for many days, they're not going to be intimate. You're not going to be intimate with another man, and Hosea says, I'm not going to be intimate with you. This is going to have no intimacy, even though he's redeemed her and they're going to be together. So the prophetic, the prophetic parallel here with God and Israel is that God redeems Israel and they are to live in God's will, but while in exile for many days, there is going, going, to, there's going to be no worship, no intimacy. Our sin is costly and our punishment is so severe. The children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without an ephod or household gods. They are going into exile. So let's talk about this for a moment. They are going to be without king or prince, meaning they're not going to have any righteous ruler over them. They're going to be ruled over by the kingdom of Assyria while they are in exile. I think part of the reason that we here in America the reason that we so freely give ourselves to sin is because we don't fear God. 
And we don't fear punishment from God. We don't, we don't see another nation that God will use to punish our sins. We may feel bad for the people in Ukraine right now, but we would, could never imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. We are a people who are fearless. And don't think fearless means brave. Bravery means standing strong in the face of fear. Fearlessness, true fearlessness, leads to shamelessness. And that's what's happening in America. We have no fear, and therefore we have no shame. Where there is no fear, anything goes. This is just like the time of the kingdom of Israel during Hosea. They were prosperous. They were militarily strong. They were economically flourishing. They were fearless. And this led to enormous, incredible sin. And God was going to bring it down. Down to nothing because the punishment for sin is severe. Without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar. Now this is an interesting phrase because sacrifices were good and right during this time for the kingdom of Israel. They were to make sacrifices. But the fact that God adds pillar to the midst of this is interesting because pillar worship is what the pagans did. The pagans erected pillars to worship Asherah and Baal and other gods. It's like God is saying, you're going to have no sacrifice or pillar. You're not going to have any form of worship, good or bad, where I'm going to send you. You're going to be intimate with no one, not a foreign god and not me, without sacrifice or pillar, without an ephod or household gods. The ephods were the, 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 the jeweled um, vests that the priests would wear, the Jewish priests would wear as they were, uh, conducted worship services. A good thing. Household gods were those little figurines that people would put on their shelves that were idols that they would worship other gods through. God is saying, you're going to have nothing, good or bad, where I'm going to send you. It's going to be decimation because our sin is costly and our punishment is severe. And while this is all extremely terrible and what they have to face for their sins is extremely horrendous, you have to understand the level of mercy that's here too. Because God will go to great lengths to separate us from our sins, even exile. Because it's worse to be with our sin. It's worse to be with our sin. And we, thank God we here, we live on this side of the cross. And for we, for, for us who have repented and put our faith in God, we have the power of the Spirit to overcome within us because Jesus has already overcome. But we still need to do things to keep our sin at bay. Hear me, church. What barriers are you putting around your sin to keep yourself in ex exile from your sin? What barriers are you putting up between your in, your, you and your sin so you don't fall back into that? I'm so serious right now. Listen to me. You need walls and barriers around your sin to keep you from being tempted. Some of you, I pray to God someone takes action on this today because someone needs to do it. Some of you need to give up your, your smartphone because you know that thing only leads you into sin. And it's time to cut the head off that snake. Some of you, you're part of commitments that are just idolatrous. And these commitments lead you to put that thing over God. 
and it's time to cut off that commitment. And you may be sitting here trying to sound self-righteous and be like, well, I started it, I have to finish it. Not if it leads you to sin. If it leads you to sin, it needs to be cut off and removed. And you may make apologies to whoever you need to make apologies to, but if it's leading you to sin, it needs to be cut off. What barriers are you putting around so that you keep yourself in exile from your sin? God is telling Israel that exile and hard times are coming because of the sin that they chose. But yet he still gives them hope. Verse 5 goes on to say, Afterward, after exile, after all this, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord, a good thing, and to his goodness in the latter days. Here's what I want you to know. Our hope is eternal. Afterward, the latter days, meaning in the future, in the unknown future, God's people will return to God. But this idea of like David their king, what does this mean? So, real quickly, King David had been dead for a couple centuries by this point. So clearly, the hope is not in the person of David. It's in the promise of King David. That one day, a descendant of David, someone from David's lineage, would reign as the good and final king. And under the kingship of that person, they will come back to God. In the latter days, in the future days. So while we may feel the pain of sin in the moment, we live knowing that our hope is eternal. See, the problem is that we want God to work on our timelines. And listen to me, not only on our timelines, but in the prime of our life. That's when we want to see God work. But we have to understand that God's plan is much bigger and broader than our lives. But the beauty in this is that God's promises to his people are promises to us, and we will experience them. We will experience them. We just may not experience them until we get to eternity. Because our hope is not momentary. Our hope is eternal. That whatever is happening, we know God is in control and he's on the throne. And he's calling us to something better and something good. The question is, are you doing that? And this should be comforting, but I know it's not to a people who are so self-centered that we want God to work on our timeline in our lives at our exact moment in history. But God is bigger than that. That should be comforting to us. That God's not regulated to work within our little finite amount of time. That he is bigger and broader than this. Just because we don't see something happen doesn't mean it's not going to happen. We can still have believing and have the hope for eternity. Trusting that we might not have them to the latter days, but we will have them. And so this great drama between the marriage of Hosea and Gomer, it comes to an end. And we see that they are together again, but they're going to be fully reunited in a time to come. And so it is with God and us. A day is coming when all things will be made new and the consequences of sin will be no more. The hope we have is not momentary. It's eternal. So where do we go from here? Let me give you two quick things as we close up. First thing I'd say is this, is don't just stand up, stand out. Stand apart, not as self-righteous people, but as repentant and redeemed people. So back to the story of Jesus and this woman. What did Jesus write in the sand? 
part of me wonders, did he write the name Gomer? That this adulterous woman is the one that God loves. That being reminded of that caused those self-righteous people to walk away. They asked Jesus, was it wrong or right to stone her? But instead, Jesus showed them what was righteous. Because he didn't just stand up, he stood out. He stood apart. Church, hear me on this. You can win the culture war and not win a single soul to Jesus. And if you do that, brother, you're fighting the wrong fight. We are called to promote the kingdom and see the kingdom advance in this world. To see everyone come under the good kingship of Jesus. I'm not, call, I'm not asking or calling you to kowtow to what is ungodly in this world. Certainly not. That's what Israel did. This is a time to stand. But don't just stand up. We have a lot of people standing up and they're seemingly just blending in like everyone else. The church is called to stand out. This is what it means to be holy, that we stand apart from this world, that we don't just fight against the forces of this world, we fight for the kingdom of God. Stand apart not as self-righteous people, but as repentant and redeemed people. This is who we are in Christ. We are righteous because he is righteous. The kingdom of Israel, Hosea's home, was just pulled into the culture. And they lost their identity as they gave their hearts and mind to the culture around them. And thus they ceased to be the light. And in doing so, they forgot who truly loved them. If you're going to stand, then stand in the love and promises of God. That's where your strength will come from. Which leads to the last thing. To know what love is, we must know who God is. Embrace the one who redeemed us, not just by laying down his reputation, but by laying down his life. If you want to know what love is, we have to know who God is. No, love is not love. God is love. The whole drama of Hosea and Gomer is, fulfill, is fulfilled finally and fully in the life of Jesus Christ. Hosea paid the price for Gomer with money and barley. But Jesus pays the price for us with his flesh and his blood. Hosea loved a woman while she was cheating on him, and Jesus loves the people while they are sinning against him. Hosea redeemed Gomer, and Jesus redeems us. He pays for our costly sin by taking our severe punishment, by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. You see, the kingdom of Israel, they still had to face humiliation, judgment, and exile. But thanks be to God, we live on this side of the cross and we can look and see that Jesus has taken that for us. Jesus took the humiliation of the cross. They crucified him naked. He took the humiliation for us and he took the wrath of God for us on the cross. That wrath should have been ours, but God poured it out on Jesus in our place. And then God turned his face away from his son so that Jesus would experience the horror of spiritual exile from God in our place. Jesus takes our humiliation, our judgment, and our exile. The kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Israel had to wait for their hope that was to come, but Jesus gives us that hope now. Because in facing our punishment, he went to the death 
but in that death, he triumphed over it to raise to new life, the new life that he gives to us so that we can experience it now, so that you might know this beautiful truth that God loves us and redeems us even when we don't deserve it. Church, if you believe that, say amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, Lord, you have redeemed us and brought us back from the sin that we have so freely given ourselves to. So Lord, would you give us pure hands and a clean heart that we might fear you above all else. And in the strength of that fear, we would stand in this world. That we'd stand up and we'd stand apart, showing the world not what's right and wrong, but what's righteous. That we might experience the love that you have for us through your Son and through our Savior, Lord, you are so great. Would you be with us now as we sing unto you how great you are? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.